This is Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Podcast reporting live from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. And today I'm joined by Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you. Yep, glad to be here. Um, and so we wanted to maybe kick off, Brent. Uh, you just gave a talk wherein you uh, are attempting to uh, insert a new word into uh, some vocabularies here. Well, actually, the, the, the term agnotology is a real word. Uh, it's culturally induced ignorance through the dissemination of inaccurate or misleading information. Fake news. Fake news. Is, would be yeah. one great example of it. But the, the term I've submitted is agnoramus, which is basically <laughs> the person who actually disseminates and makes up such information. And, you know, in a broader sense, it certainly applies to the current political environment in the U.S., but taking it down to the mining sector, uh, the mining sector has been good at this for decades or centuries, uh, disseminating or misleading information um, for personal gain. And that's uh, that's kind of what we talked about in our letter a couple of weeks ago and what I talked about today in the presentation. And, I mean, it's interesting, it also sort of segues into what Leslie was talking about on the podcast last week where uh, we sort of looked at how to vet news releases in 43101s and how companies report intercepts and things like that. Um, and, and Leslie had been talking about things like cut and uncut intercepts um, and just various reporting standards. So maybe if, if you and Joe, maybe uh, starting with Brent, we'll go to Joe afterwards, could talk a little bit about what you guys look for in terms of when you look at things like uncut, uncut assays and things like that. What stands out for you in the mining industry to maybe, let's say, create a fake news story okay well let's start with you know fatal flaws or red flags that we're talking about I'll, I'll do the first easiest one any speculator can look at if you go to a company's website you see gold bars you see the statue of liberty you see a bald eagle you see the american flag run away if if this company is based out of las vegas coral gables or Dallas, that's a double runaway. So that's that's an easy one. I'll, I'll let John take or Joe take the next one. Uh, on on uh, cut and uncut and, uh, and and how we look at intersections. So the the big thing that we'd look for is like uh, if if this is going to be an ore body, it's going to be you know the geology. What, what does the geology look like? And when they produce these intersections, cut and uncut uh, sort of suggests that they have an idea what is economic there. And uh, when you cut, you can cut at the bottom, which is the bottom uh, cutoff grade, but also you top cut if it's very, uh, you know, high grade. But that's also sort of saying that, hey, I know these grades are volatile. I need to take that into account. But mostly in the, in the stocks we deal with in terms of expiration, they don't know yet. And so our issue would be more about somebody who announces a great intersection of, you know, 100 grams, uh, you know, uh, uh, 100 gram meter intersection where you've got you know 100 grams over uh, you know big widths something like that and then when we look at the intersection it's really if we take a meter out of that that's grading 500 grams and everything else doesn't have any grade then that's a very different picture of looking at something that might be open pitable to suddenly it's narrow underground mining and then it's a lot of uh, upfront capital in terms of underground so for us it, it, it sort of tells us that you know somebody could think that it's one thing when it's really something completely different. And that's interesting, Brett. You look like you have something to add, but I mean, also not only just in how you report the intersects, but there's something to be said. You, you talk about fake news, and that's something we're really familiar with being in media, obviously. But how they formulate the paragraphs and how they talk about the project. And I mean, aside from what Joe is talking about with the actual technical data, you see these phrases and things that are obviously red flags, right? Well, 
they're always encouraged by the results. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're robust. They're always they're robust. robust. Yeah. It's a robust uh, feasibility study. Um, there's a, a website or a little tool we developed with Corebox called um, the Drill Interval Calculator. Oh, yeah. And it's linked from our website as well. But you, what you do is if you put in, I'll give an example I used in, in my presentation, where a company released 48 meters grading uh, 4.9 grams a ton. Within that was a four meter interval grading, oh shoot, what was that? Uh, 49 grams a ton, yeah. I think it was. When you pull that one section out, the remaining of the material graded 0.13 grams. So that changes, so you got 44 meters of 0.13 grams. That's uneconomic. So you've got it, you know, you can use that tool for that way. But certainly, in terms of how people phrase what's going on, I guess, you know, what would be some easy ones? If, if you have to look real hard for the drill results, that's a negative. Mm -hmm. If the results come out uh, late Friday, that's usually bad news. Um, no table, usually bad news. Uh, I think it's comparative that a company, when they put out news, drill results, whatever, they include a cross-section drill map, as much information as they can so that people like Joe and I can actually understand and interpret the data as to whether what it really means and doesn't mean. If they don't give you that information, they're either incompetent or hiding something. And interesting, I mean, as as um, a duo who talks to a lot of obviously publicly listed companies, I mean, what's the story you get from companies that do that? Well, they say, oh, it's early stage. Oh, it's what, what do they tell you guys that they're like, oh, we don't need to release this yeah. because what are they saying? We we've had that, especially around metallurgy, because uh, you know metallurgy can be obviously a significant fatal flaw in in, in companies, uh, and so we would. You know, there, there's people that would say, oh, look, I got this inter intersection of 10 meters of, you know, 20 grams, and somebody would say, wow, that's that's great, look, and it's in Nevada, <laughs> and they're calling it Carlin type, and I said, uh, you know, is it sulfide? And he goes, yeah, so it's not oxide. He goes, yeah, it's sulfide. Okay, it's refractory. Well, how do you know that? Well, if they're calling it Carlin type, the basic definition of Carlin type is that when you get into the sulfides, it's fine-grained refractory arsenium pyrite, and that's where the gold is. So it's going to be refractory. Yeah. But there's a uh, obviously an excitement when somebody says Carlin type, but then the implications of Carlin type uh, don't uh, don't get translated very well. You know, well, it's one of those catchwords you hear in mining, right? Exactly. It's certain kinds of deposits that people will drop names referring to. Oh, it's I thought the copper sector has been using Oyotolgoi a lot lately. I've yeah. noticed. Um, <laughs> and so you, you get these. You know, they try to find these analogs where they're and like Rinse says, it's marketing, right? This is basically what it is. Is is finding something that people can latch onto and know and comparing yourself to it in a way that hopefully will make your share price go up. Yeah, and they never compare their discovery to some dog project yeah. down the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the other interesting thing, I, was, I wanted to ask you guys, because um, Brent obviously is from the U.S., and uh, you guys obviously have quite a good following uh, in, amongst U.S. retail. Um, and, and some of the numbers we've been looking at recently is in terms of some of the capital inflows on the U.S. side is kind of interesting, because it looks like it's kind of back a little bit. Yeah. Um, and Canadian retail, maybe not so much. Um, we don't see as much up here. So maybe just a little commentary on, on what the investment climate's like in the U.S. right now for, for our Canadian listeners who might not know um, or be aware of what's going on down there? Well, I think we're, we seem to be getting more subscribers recently mm -hmm. uh, because the gold price is going up. Well, really, actually what's happening, I think, is the dollar is being talked down by uh, the new administration. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably what's bringing in more people. And I'd be interested to know the, the people who are coming in. I, I can't tell you what their political sway is. Yeah. That would be interesting. We should ask that when they come in. 
Um, but certainly we're get, I'm getting more interest from U.S. subscribers. And then also with the new administration, you know, permitting is in theory going to be much, much easier. I know Northern Dynasty is touting that as their next great big thing. And I suspect it will be a lot easier to get certain projects permitted. Well, it's interesting. I've, I've seen an uptick actually in calls from companies working in Montana of all places. I've been uh, a number of companies have approached me recently and been like, "Hey, this might be back because Trump's bringing it all back." So it's interesting to see some of these jurisdictions where either there was a stigma or that it had been difficult. Yeah, and and we we are getting a lot of subscribers asking us about projects that we already discussed last year when gold was ramping up from 1060 to 1350. The marginal plays. The optionality yeah, plays, the, optionality. The, the, the gold banks, uh, and I'm quoting, I'm doing this with my fingers Air right quotes, now, yeah. Air <laughs> quotes. but um, so going forward, like look, going forward right now, we're getting those same questions again. Mm -hmm. Now gold's mm -hmm. backed off, and now it's coming back up again, and people are sort of saying, oh, you know, we've got more volatility, oh, you know, uh, the, uh, inflation might be coming back, maybe this is a store of value, I still see negative interest rates, so maybe gold's coming back, so hey, what do you think of these option plays? And it's, it, well, it's interesting because you guys, in, in my conversations with you previously, you, you made a big point about flight to quality is, is what you really look for um, in M&A, obviously, potential. Um, but you, you've always made a point about sociopolitics. I mean, um, when someone asks you that now, has your opinion for some of these jurisdictions changed? Or We're still looking for high margin deposits mm -hmm. with, in theory, our exit being acquired by a, a major. Um, and I think it's, you know, if there was a project, let's say Midas Gold, Okay. They've got the stibnite deposit. Yeah. That, I think, is their legitimate deposit. And their permitting timeline might have been shortened. Mm. That one might make sense. Uh, others won't. If they don't work, they don't work. I don't care how easy it is to get a permit. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, interesting, uh, as you move forward into 2017 here, uh, maybe just a little bit of what you'll be looking for, what you'll be looking at, and if there is any sort of events or uh, catalysts you might be paying specific attention to, um, not just in terms of sociopolitics, but also economics, uh, commodity prices, gold, things like that. We're positive on gold. Yeah. Uh, we're positive on copper and zinc. Mm -hmm. uh, that is probably the, the main one commodity-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, again, like last year, when or 2015, late 15, when Joe joined up, he picked four stocks, you know, mid-tier miners, for the idea that that was going to get bought by somebody, and they were. We'd love to do that again, but we cannot find more companies or projects that we think are high enough quality, which is forcing us down into earlier stage projects. So I think that's where the place we're moving to, uh, and the place to be is get into the earlier stage discoveries or people that know how to find something, and just do your due diligence. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that uh, that's not absolutely true. I picked two, he picked the other two. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like, yeah, going forward, I, I think if you looked at uh, protecting our downside, and we always try to go for asymmetry and risk profile, and hopefully we generate that on the reward side so we can have stocks and make doubles, but hopefully we don't lose more than 25 to 30% on the ones we lose on because uh, we get out quicker, hopefully, because we find the fatal flaw faster. But what we're seeing in terms of the macro, the supply and demand of these companies is like 
irregardless of where you are in the cycle, there's not a lot of gold deposits, not a lot of copper deposits, not a lot of zinc deposits, not a lot of these deposits that work at present prices. Mm -hmm. And so the issue for these guys is not repleting reserves at these marginal sort of levels. What they need is quality to replace what they already have that's not quality. If you take some of these companies, maybe 60 to 80%, if they're lucky, work at $1,200 gold price, all this rest of that stuff doesn't so they're very willing to divest those but what they need to do is bring some quality back in and you see with the Kamenak acquisition that had a sufficient IRR to get them in you know whatever you think about the valuation or the purchase price it was still a big huge land package yeah and the whole idea is to find that extra ounce much cheaper well you know it's funny is is, is you, you're sort of echoing a talking point I heard during the Gold Corp investor day where the executive team made a huge point of their new sort of selling line is they almost dollar for dollar traded Los Filos for coffee. And they're saying we traded the old asset that's going underground for the established, the new district that's emerging. And all you hear coming out, and actually Joe was probably the first person who told me this, was look for districts because that's where the majors are going to start to put their money. And you've seen that happen a lot. So that's sort of what you foresee yeah. being the pattern moving forward here. Well, and then if you look at geographies, don't have your own biases. Mm -hmm. Use their biases. Yeah. <laughs> so because what you got to be comfortable is where they're comfortable. It's not about your bowel movements. Can I say that? In, oh, yeah, in, no in, in any country, it's their bowel movements. Yeah, yeah. And, Brent, I found it interesting. You did mention zinc, and I've been walking the floor of the Resource Investment Conference here, and I've heard it a lot, but I hear it pretty annually. We hear yeah, it yeah. Uh, I think somebody mentioned recently it was the material that cries wolf uh, fairly regularly. So what's sort of are you got you buying into zinc here now? Well, it's hard to find a good zinc project which means right now, downstairs, there are 25 of them being funded and ready to go and rolled out, hopefully by PDAC. Every one of them is going to have some crap zinc anomaly or project somewhere. Um, that's unfortunate, but that's the way this market works. But no, I think basically the supply demand of zinc is pretty positive, and you just need to find a company with a legitimate zinc deposit that makes money at these prices and higher which isn't that easy yeah, and it could be a zone deposit yeah. like you have these well, that's what i was going to actually ask yeah. you guys was to explain a little bit about when you're looking at the geology of zinc and the districts and things well you could say that yeah. with the bisha deposit it yeah. starts off as a gold deposit on yeah. top but, and then it gets to the copper and now mm -hmm. you're trans transferring into the zinc and that's just what happens in the life cycle of these volcanogenic massive sulfide deposits mm -hmm. uh, but I think the other point you want to make is not only the geology of these zinc deposits, but also the fact that, you know, when we're looking at these base metal uh, companies, like what they're producing is a concentrate. They don't produce the cathode. They don't produce the ultimate product mm -hmm. and, and, and such that the product they produce is less fungible. And so the quality of the concentrate is as important as the quality of the deposit. If they produce a really, let's say, crappy uh, concentrate that nobody will buy, that it's a red flag for us to say that is anybody going to buy that project? All right, a 15% copper con is hard to sell. A 26% copper con is much more uh, easier to sell, much more valuable. So you might have a great zinc deposit, but if you can't put it into a concentrate that a smelter will buy, you don't have a deposit. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and maybe interestingly, is there sort of any districts or areas in the world you'd be watching in terms of new zinc discoveries uh, in terms of metallurgical areas or metal areas that might be promising to you if, if a company did have a deal they were starting up somewhere that 
might yeah, be. I, I don't I don't think that we're sort of that geographically constrained with mm. respect to any commodity right now. Okay. Again, like what we're looking for is what we think other people would don't have a problem being in. So okay. if it's already got a mining history and there's mines there and majors are there, we're pretty comfortable if a company's got an asset, regardless if there's an election tomorrow or not. It's going to be interesting to see because, as Brent said, it's not like there's a lot of them yeah, right now that are top not. of mind. Right? But the, the PDAC, yeah. <laughs> we should go around and see how many new zinc stories yeah. there are. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been great, gentlemen. Uh, this has been uh, Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdorf with Exploration Insights. I'm Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner. Gentlemen, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank, thank you. you.